If you look hard enough past the flashing lights and billboard signs, past the busy streets and suburban houses, you might find a little truth hidden inside a great song. To the bedroom music makers and garage wall shakers, to the cafe singers and travelling bands, to the street buskers and vinyl crate diggers, to big city dreams and small town life. This is Between the Houses. Hey everyone, my name's Sam Bentley and I'm here with Dave Powers and we play in a band together called The Paper Kites and welcome to our very first episode of Between the Houses. Dave, how are you? Um, great, man. It's good to finally be doing this after all this time. Yeah, well, we um, we had a conversation about this a while back, didn't we, about possibly doing a podcast? We did. Yeah, we, uh, we were stuck in the back of a tour bus. Uh, possibly even broken down on the way to Nashville. It was, it was. We <laughs> we broke down for something like thirteen hours. Or yeah, something. and uh, it was a, a real ordeal that that afternoon. But we, one of the things we spoke about was, man, we should start a podcast. That would be a <laughs> great idea. Which seemed like a great idea at the time, but we've never really expanded on that until recently where obviously we've had more downtime um, with all this lockdown happening. So Sam and I are in Melbourne at the moment in the state of Victoria, which is uh, under what we call in stage four lockdown. So that means basically as a curfew, uh, we have to be home by eight o'clock p.m. Um, A whole bunch of businesses and trades are not happening. And uh, yeah, we're, we're just trying to basically bring the numbers down because yeah, COVID's been really bad in this state, so it's pretty full on. We we can't see friends and family. We're just talking to everyone on the screen, and um, we've still got another few weeks left. Yeah, yeah. Well, we definitely have a lot of spare time on our hands at the moment. There's been a lot of uh, a lot of movies watched in the Bentley house. Uh, yeah, a lot of bushwalks. Yeah, a lot of bushwalks in the area, which has been nice for our one hour of exercise a day. Um, <laughs> I, I I thought I would be writing music a lot more during this time but i just haven't really felt like it it's been just nice to kind of spend time with the family your brain's just full of disney soundtracks and yeah oh man yeah uh tangled has been watched (laughs) over and over yeah yeah at the moment um but i found myself last time i got lost down a bit of a rabbit hole on on the youtube yeah okay um the youtube's got you it has well every now and then um I hope this doesn't sound uh, too silly, but I, I do really enjoy uh, reading the comments on some of our videos only because <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're just the loveliest things. You know, people uh, are, are sort of using them as these call-outs to like ex-lovers and, uh, you know, lost loves and, and yeah, just right. things like that. And you need to go on and read through it. What's an example? Well, uh, okay, so... If you read this, I still love you. <laughs> That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Or or just kind of documenting, um, you know, how their relationship broke down and either our our song uh, that they're commenting on either reminds them of that person or, you know, it's sort of... um, a very sweet thing for them but just go on and have a if you're ever feeling down read read the comments yeah. section so for anyone listening if you wonder what um the paper kites get up to <laughs> when we're home from tour we basically just troll youtube comments and to feel good about ourselves and cry uh yeah and it's probably been about eight months since us or any other musician really has, has been able to tour 
and be on the road properly. Um, have you kind of been reflecting on it? Man, I remember those last couple of tours we did at uh, in the end of 2019, um, US, Canada, and Europe and the UK. And the longer time goes on, <laughs> the the more romantic those tours become. And they've become, in my mind, like the pinnacle of... I mean, they were great tours. Um, some of the best that we've done, I think. But, man, now I'm looking outside and I see a, a plane fly overhead, you know, one of the rare <laughs> moments. See a 747 go over and I just feel like this really intense uh, longing to get on a plane and... And fly somewhere and start touring. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely missing being able to tour. Um, but I, you know, I'm sure everyone is feeling the same way. Um, we're all in the same boat. I have to keep remembering that, you know, every musician in the world is is not able to tour at the moment. And I'm sure, uh, you know, you people listening are probably really missing seeing live music and going to shows as well. Uh, but you know, here we are doing a podcast because we have nothing but time. And the reason we're doing this podcast is um, because we have just announced a new album that we're putting out. We haven't set a release date yet, but the album is called Roses. And it's a collaborative record. We've worked with um, 10 amazing women on this record um, and brought them in to sort of sing these songs with us. And yeah, we wanted to do a collaborative record. We've never done one before. And the idea was that we would find 10 vocalists that we we really loved and that we we felt were the right people for the song uh and approach them and and see if they wanted to be involved and we sat down and we kind of talked about the album and and you know is is this even possible and then uh yeah COVID hit and made everything much more complicated man i remember sitting in that uh foyer of that hotel somewhere in europe and we were thinking about like really putting pen to paper about who we could contact mm. and having this feeling of, man, is this ever going to happen? Who's going who's <laughs> to say yes to this? Well, it's a, it's because we sort of haven't really, um, we've never really worked with anyone else before. It wasn't so much about getting, uh, getting big names or anything. It, w- it was really first and foremost about the songs and about the singers and, and their voices yeah. in particular. And, um, yeah, I suppose the reason that we thought it was a good excuse to get this podcast up and running was firstly to talk to these artists that we've worked with on these songs, um, not just having conversations with them about the song that they worked on with us, but also just having a chat about their their story and kind of where they've come from and, and how they got to where they are now. And I think some of these artists who I have met before or we've toured with or played shows with, um, man, we have like one evening or a couple of hours to chat and hang out and there's lots of people around. So this was such a good excuse to ask some questions, you know, in context of this conversation and, um, you know, find out the backstory of what inspires them as artists. Yeah. And you might not have heard of these artists before, or you might know them well, um, but we just thought it would be great to shine a light on what they're doing and who they are and what, what makes them tick. Um, so when we announced we were doing this podcast, uh, 
people got super excited with us and asked us a few questions uh, about things they wanted to know about our band and our touring experiences and and how we make decisions in the studio and um, things like that, which is great. Um, And I think this podcast isn't so much about our band as it is about the artists that we've been working with. So uh, we love your questions and we might address some of these things um, when sharing our experiences in these conversations, but um, it's more so about these artists. So uh, who knows in the future, um, if we continue with this uh, with this podcast, if it goes well, uh, we might be able to uh, shed more light on, on our experiences and um, answer some of those questions. So today we're talking with Lucy Rose, who is a singer-songwriter from the UK. Uh, we met Lucy back in 2014 at a festival we played together in the Philippines. And we've been fans of her music uh, for the longest time. And it was so great to actually sit down and, and have a proper chat with her because we've kind of, we've run into her a few times over the years, but we've never really had a chance to uh, sort of get into some of the deeper things with her. Um, If you don't know much about her, uh, she's released four records and they're all amazing, amazing records. Uh, You might have heard her song Shiver. Um, Her music's been in a bunch of TV shows. And uh, if you aren't familiar with her music from that, you may have also heard of her uh, from her work with Bombay Bicycle Club as well. She's featured on three of their albums. Uh, If you're wondering who that beautiful voice is in the background, that's her. And she's also toured with those guys. And she has also released a documentary of a tour that she did in South America where she travelled around and stayed with fans and just sort of played locally in their communities uh, we and we talk a little bit about that in the interview um we recently recorded a song with her uh called for all you give which was the first song uh that we released from this album uh, and it's out now we put it out two weeks ago so if you want to listen to it you can um stream it wherever you stream your music i want to take you everywhere i go have you by my side Take a walk round in every town Drive across state lines Like the sun sends a golden stream Into our front room I could be the same old lady We recorded it in December last year in uh, in Brighton while we were on tour there. And uh, Lucy lives in Brighton with her husband, Will, and we were fortunate enough to be able to uh, get in the studio. Uh, we recorded it in, in the upstairs room uh, of her producer, Tim Bidwell's apartment. And uh, For anyone who's, you know, been to a live show and heard, you know, an intimate song, hearing it in the room is... Man, it's so different. So that day, um, listening to Sam and Lucy sing together for the first time, it it honestly sounded like you guys had been singing together for years. Mm. But, um, oh, man, it was just heart-melting stuff. <laughs> so it was so great talking to Lucy and actually having a decent chat with her because we've only had, you know, 10 minutes here or there and ask the questions that, we don't really have time to ask her. Yeah, it's very difficult to to get into someone's life story over a, a quick hello backstage. That's right, yeah. And she's 
super intelligent, like so much great stuff to say about music and, and art and, you know, sort of how she started out. A few things that she said um, was so interesting, like the way she's questioned herself, you know, as we all have as musicians um, and, and tried to find validation, you know, maybe in the wrong places or mm. she eventually finds this renewed love for music and what she does and this validation through uh, her fans and the people that love her and genuinely love her music. And so to hear her uh, explain that and and talk about the feelings and the emotions that, that go with that uh, is, is fascinating. Yeah. And I'll just clarify, there are a few people that we talk about in the podcast because um, this is obviously our very first time that we forgot to mention at the time uh, who they actually were. So um, Tim Bidwell is someone that we talk about a little and Tim uh, recorded the song that we did together with Lucy in Brighton. He's also produced her last two records. Uh, we talk a little about Jack. Uh, that is Jack Steadman from Bombay Bicycle Club, the uh, the front man. Um, Lucy has obviously had a little bit to do with them over the years. So if you hear Jack, that's who we're talking about. And lastly, I think Will, her husband, gets mentioned a bit, but at no point did we actually talk about the fact that Will is her husband. So if you do, <laughs> if you hear Will, that's who we're talking about. And I feel like we were so into the conversation that we actually forgot to offer any insight from our own experiences. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll have to remember to do that next time as well. That's right. So if you like digging a little deeper and hearing about what makes artists tick, then this podcast is for you. Here's our chat with Lucy Rose. I've joined, uh, I've joined the tennis club now. It's like a hundred pounds for the year, but I'm playing like loads of tennis. Like yesterday I played tennis with like three 60 year old men, maybe 60 plus. Really? Yeah. How did you go? It was fun. It was doubles. Um, There's Tony, Ian and Bruno <laughs> that I played with. <laughs> the names are perfect. I know. And, uh, but they're like, it's all quite competitive. It's like, come on, let's do it. Like all of this. And like, um, Bruno's got a dodgy hip oh. so whenever i'm playing with him he's like run like screaming because he can't like get <laughs> Make, making the you take the drop shots <laughs> and he's french he's like you know i've got a hip my hip is a problem <laughs> you know like this and i'm like sorry bruno get to the net. Yeah, run! <laughs> and they would have no idea about you would they like and what you do one of them did and was like i can't remember they were like it's not very jolly is it and I was like, no, it's not jolly. About your music? Yeah. I was like, it's not jolly. You're right. <laughs> you, should put the, you should put that as the, like the sticker on the front of your new album. Yeah. Five stars. It's just so nice just being like a normal person. I know that sounds really also like so, so stupid. I don't know. I just like, I like fading into the background, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. a lot of the time. Are you missing it at all? Um, I, I don't know. I almost feel like touring is just like so emotional <laughs> all the time yeah yeah it's just no, like it such a like exhausting emotional thing best times of your life but you're exhausted mm. all the time and uh, and nervous and like i feel like for the first time ever i've actually been able to just like eat food regularly mm -hmm. like at normal times yeah just like really small things like that i'm like god it's so nice to just have like breakfast lunch dinner at home 
and it'd be like cooked and I can eat what I want. Mm. Um, because nearly before every gig, I can't ever eat dinner, like the smallest things like that. Like I'm way too nervous to eat any food like hours before a gig. Um, and then I just always feel like, oh God, I'm like all emaciated and gross. And like, and then I get all like, I said, I worried like about that. And I'm like, just enjoying like having like normal, easy routines. Yeah. I don't know. It's just like, it's really nice. But then at the same time, um, being a musician and touring is like feels like part of my my being in some way mm. so i know it's lingering there and will happen again who knows when but it's just um it's just a lot isn't it mm. yeah i think i definitely remember brighton fondly because it was the end of our tour wasn't it sam yes yep and uh in december the end of last year so we were finishing up the tour and that we you always have that feeling like that romantic feeling and that the hotel we stayed at was just just battered by the weather and the wind every windowsill was like leaking and there was like howling wind coming in through the windows you know complete schmuzzle like that all the staff were getting yelled at by the manager and there was like you um, uh you likened it to faulty towers yeah yeah oh, there, was like, there was a footman running around like manuel who's just getting yelled at and one of the ladies behind the desk was crying and people were coming downstairs yelling about their rooms being stinky and leaking and we we actually got moved three times because our our rooms were wrong and all the beds weren't changed one one room we were in, the window was stuck open. Oh, my God. So there was this freezing cold wind is coming through. But as, aside from the chaos, I mean, I mean, we did get to hang out with you, Lucy, so that was a bonus. Can't be all bad. But I quite like it. We have like a, we've got like a little wood burner. So when it gets to winter and the wind's like absolutely howling outside and it's like pouring, I kind of like it. That's like a romantic thing in itself when you just got like your little wood burner on. Oh, nice. and you're inside a house like I don't particularly mind it but you're right it is it can be pretty stormy here as well mm. so when we were first talking about doing this record as a collaborative record and and bringing in other artists you were kind of one of the first people that came to my head um I think you were the first person we actually came to with a song because I, I wrote a lot of them with um very specific people in mind and firstly I I think we wanted to see what you thought because I was almost kind of at the point of like potentially scrapping the album. If, if I just thought it was going to be too hard to get the right people for the songs and it just seemed like quite a big headache to do it. But um, I remember giving that song to you, sending it to you. And, and it is a very, it's, it's quite a, a daunting thing to do to present a song to a, an artist that you, you genuinely yeah. really respect and, and love their music and sort of say, do you, do you like this enough to want to sing on it? And much, much to our uh, our honour, you uh, you decided that you wanted to sing on it, and we we put it together. So, do you? What do you remember about recording it that day? Um, I remember. I remember it wasn't that long ago, so um, <laughs> got a nice, clear memory of it. Um, firstly, it was it was just a beautiful song. Like when I first heard it, and. I, I'm so happy to be collaborating, but I'm sure you know what it's like as well to be just careful and, and very thoughtful on who you do collaborate with because sometimes they, you could just be singing like 30 songs a year with with people, which mm. isn't a bad thing, but I think it just has to be special mm. when you decide to do it. 
Um, so yeah, it was, I kind of was like, send me the song and I couldn't make, you know, couldn't say 100% we should do it until I'd heard the song. Um, and then I heard it, it's just absolutely beautiful. Um, and I could hear myself on it and be proud to be on it as well. Um, so when it came to recording it, I just brought, I brought my Spanish guitar, didn't I? Because you didn't have one. You did. Um, mm -hmm. All the way from Mexico City, that guitar, I love it. I love that guitar. Yeah, it's, it's really the best, like $200 I've ever spent. Um, and bought that and then we just started trying different things out and then i do i remember us um you know sort of like working out where i could be and how much i should do and we kind of got came to the idea of doing the whole thing and it's the whole the whole thing is in a harmony isn't it yeah it is yeah, yeah. and that's actually i remember you saying that you felt like because all the other songs were sort of going to be that that duet style that maybe as something different we should do the whole thing together sort of a, a bit of a nod i think to some of those old um old like johnny cash songs you know where him and june would just sing together through the whole thing and and that's how we decided to do it and i'm so glad that you said that because it's just uh that song in particular i think is one of our favorite songs just across the board um and i i it makes me think of brighton even though i, I sort of knew nothing really about Brighton before we were there. But I think working with you and, and just capturing what we did on the day and working with Tim as well, I thought Tim was great. I, I think that song is really special. So I'm, I'm glad that we got to have you sing on it. I actually wanted to ask you a question as well. Yeah. Which was about, we were talking about the song, which is the whole reason we're doing this, this wonderful song that you've written. When we were recording it, do, what is it, would you explain what it's about? who you wrote it for, if there's anyone you wrote it for? Um, I wrote it for my wife, I think. Um, I, I think just reflecting, particularly travelling and, and being on the road, and as you would know, you, you go through a lot of things uh, that you don't get to share with your partner, you don't get to share it with your family, but particularly someone that you, you love and you care about. There's just so much that we do as musicians all in the pursuit of, of trying to make it. Um, in sort of whatever way we define that as. And it was sort of a song for her, but very much so for those people that, that make the sacrifices because they do so much more than we do. Um, and just saying, you know, for everything that you've given to me, I'm going to try and give it back to you somehow. Because I really felt that. Like I feel like um, the circumstance of us recording it here you're so far from home and so mm. far away from your wife and at the end of like a seriously long tour and you're about to go home right weren't you wasn't when you yes. head home yeah. then and yeah. then you had this song and it, for me it just felt like so poignant that we recorded it at that moment in time you know it wasn't like when you were reunited it, i felt it like when you played it to me there and i assumed it was about your wife um mm -hmm. And it just made it like, again, 10 times more emotional for me that we were kind of recorded it <laughs> like that, really. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, yeah, I can't tell you how um, how wonderful it was to have you sing on it. So thank you for being on the song. Thank you for talking with us today. And uh, I want to go back for a second here. So I, I kind of want to ask you about where you grew up. Oh, God, this is all so boring, Sam, <laughs> honestly. 
No, it's fine. As in, uh, it's in. I just got a very, I, I like normal uh, upbringing. Just, but I grew up in uh, Warwickshire, which is the Midlands, right in the middle of England, um, near Warwickshire. So I'm like 20 minutes outside of Stratford, um, which is yeah, Shakespeare was born uh-huh. there. Okay, so you're very much carrying the uh, the poet torch for the uh, the region. Not, not really. I think um, Nick Drake also came from. The same area. Not that I think I'm like Shakespeare or Nick Drake. Can we just clear that one right <laughs> up? Uh, I thought you said Drake. I didn't hear you say Nick. I think it cut oh, out. Oh, sorry. There. So I thought, not Drake. Hang on a minute. Is is Drake from? <laughs> what was school like for you? What was your school like? You go first. Uh, it was good. I I didn't love school. I think um, I was I sort of spent a lot of lunch times in in the music room. But do you know what it was for me? that I, I realized after school um, was I actually had a really tough time because I, I had terrible eyesight and I, I couldn't see the board a lot of the time. So it actually came with a lot of social anxiety because I, I couldn't see people saying hello to me from across the schoolyard and, and things like that. I just kind of walk around with my head down all the time and I, I didn't do that well in my academic subjects because I just, I couldn't see anything on the board and I was too embarrassed to, uh, to say that I, I couldn't see it. So I spent, you know, almost every lunchtime in the music room, just playing, uh, playing with my, my fellow music nerds. So that was kind of my schooling. <laughs> that sounds good. That sounds like it could be made into like a movie of some sort. Maybe they will one day. How was it for you? Uh, I went to an all girls school, um, so it was good. I don't really want it to become like a, oh, my school was terrible or anything like that. But, um, yeah, it, like it had, it had my normal school challenges that I think everyone goes through to a certain degree. Um, was glad when it was over. Mm-hmm. I can say that, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. But there was definitely quite a, like, um, mould to fit at school, definitely, Um even when it came to uh, going to university and stuff, I think I was like one of the only girls in the year who didn't go to university and to pursue music. It was like, it was like I was off the rails or something. <laughs> like it was like quite a like posh school where everyone was like, right, this is what you're going to do. Then you're going to go to university and you're going to get a really good job. And then you'll live in one of these big houses and everything will be great. Um, and I was like, I don't think I'm going to go to university. I'm going to go and pursue music and I like, got a job in a clothes shop and just started doing open mics and I think it's a bit like Lucy's a bit delusional you know but it would be like openly that say that out loud um oh, sort wow. of thing you know like you know she's Black gonna go and alumni. be a musician okay like all of that sort of stuff <laughs> um so obviously I didn't feel enough that I had to like fit the mold to not pursue what I wanted to do but it wasn't like um encouraged i guess yeah so when the music sort of came into it for you like were you quite young was that something that you carried through school or was it something that you decided to move into after school um i think it wasn't particularly like at school i did play in like a lot of the orchestras and um the stuff you did at like lunchtime i played the drum kit in in them in like in the wind band drummer yeah which was really fun i think that just immediately made me like slightly cooler um, when you can play in, like, in the like the big band, yeah, like the big band, 
um, nice. which was really fun. So that was like my first like introduction into like playing music with other musicians and getting like a real buzz off it really. I mean, like, that was really mm-hmm. fun. Um, and then I kind of, I just, I used to get the train back and from school and I just always walked past the guitar shop and it just became this like weird obsession just to like go in after school and have a look at the guitars and um and anyway I saved up and I bought one and taught myself guitar from when I was about 15 um wow what was your first guitar I I think it was like I actually can't remember I can't remember what it was I know I think my second one was like a washburn but the first one didn't have like a pickup or anything I couldn't play any gigs you know like with it it was like the most basic, cheapest one that I could like buy. Like a nylon string? It was a nylon. It was an acoustic, but it was just like Whoa. really basic. Um, Straight into the steel strings. Yeah, your fingers would have... Um, yeah, I remember my fingers baby. definitely hurting. <laughs> um, but that just became like an obsession, really. And yeah, I remember, again, like getting the train um, to school and listening to like Joan Armour trading records or Joni Mitchell, like trying to really delve into like, but turning my, my phone down really quietly. Cause I was so worried that if anyone heard what I was listening to, they'd like take the mickey out of me because everyone's not, everyone's listening to like pop stuff. I remember consciously, I remember at home trying to find the perfect level that my headphones wouldn't bleed at all. So no one could actually hear all the stuff I was listening to. Cause I somehow like just thought everyone would take, yeah, take the mickey. Was that on your, did you have like a flash Discman or something? I think we could be going into like iPod eras. Oh, right. Okay. I'm older than I thought. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a few years does make a difference, Dave. <laughs> yeah. Um, was, so was that all self-discovery, like finding your musical mojo? Was that, um, was there anyone who really inspired you or uh, a music teacher or was it just self-discovery? You just had something that you just started falling in love with that with music and and wanting to to learn and play it i think it was a combination of like yeah my own drive into like wanting to know everything about it and and pursue it and then um i had a manager who i've had until five years ago and then i just started managing myself um but he was really influential at the beginning and i'm still like really close to him and um, respect him an awful lot but I was probably it was it was kind of one of those small world things because I lived in a tiny village where there was like a little church at the end of the lane and we used to go to church on Sundays um, and I knew that my next door neighbours Val and Ray's son worked in the music industry in London and I was like oh I wonder if I can like send him something so I recorded some songs uh, like at home with like a little mic that I plugged into my <laughs> laptop and like made them onto a burn them onto a CD and yes. then during church gave them to his parents and was like <laughs> can you give your son this and just like can he just like let me know whether I'm bad or okay sort of thing like um and then he sort of like just really encouraged me like listened to it and encouraged me and then naturally like um became like my manager but right at the beginning he was the person who was like read these books listen to these records because I just didn't have like that sort of like worldly knowledge at all about like I hadn't heard of Neil Young Mm -hmm. hadn't heard of Joni Mitchell any of those people like it wasn't 
after my family because lots of people I meet say, like, oh, we just had it coming out of the systems. You know, my parents were always just playing cool music and it's like, we just, we just listened to the radio to and from school and that was it. Um, so he was like this real education, which I like delved into. Um, and I just like feel like now with any young musicians that contact me that I think are brilliant, I can just like hand over those same sort of like things that I got given, which were like, yeah, books, poetry, albums, you know, like just go and just like absorb all of this amazing stuff that's been created. Um, mm-hmm. So that was a big turning point. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, that's so funny that you mention um, particularly artists like Neil Young and not coming to him until sort of a bit later. I was exactly the same. And, and I, Dave and I sort of grew up playing, we were in high school bands, but they were kind of, you know, like, punk bands and and that's what we were into in school um but i remember i i went to university after school uh, i say university it's actually tafe i don't know what the equivalent would be over there but it's it's not as fancy as university it's sort of like the community version <laughs> the, plebs. the plebs version but um i i kind of came out of school and you know i loved like punk and and that was my thing and then i kind of came into conversations with all these you know such knowledgeable musicians and I felt so out of my depth that I didn't know much about the Beatles I'd never heard of Neil Young I I just didn't know anything and and I spent so much time in this little record shop on the corner I bought I think I kept them afloat for years (laughs) just with with the amount of music that I just digested from that place I had a very steep learning curve into you know, those sort of great classic songwriters. And I, I sort of feel quite, like, disappointed that I, I didn't discover them sooner. But, you know, that's just when it was meant to happen for me. But, yeah, there's, it, I think it's a great thing to pass on. Like my parents didn't really pass on any of those great songwriters to me. I had to find them myself. Who did they pass on, Sam? Oh, man. My my mum and dad tried to sort of give me the few records that they had. And it was all, like, Olivia Newton-John and maybe like ABBA or something. I, it was really yes. nothing. Like there was nothing like that pumping out of our, nothing our home ABBA, stereo. Man. No, nothing at all. Um, so, Luz, I want to sort of talk about when you, I, I suppose not long after school, you started doing stuff with the, the Bombay Bicycle Club crew uh, because the first thing that I'd ever seen from you was uh, the Floors video that you did with Jack. How how did that happen? How did you meet those guys? Weirdly, you know, when you asked if we could do the interview later and I said I couldn't because I've got friends coming, that's actually Jack oh, right. and Dorcas wow. are coming. So it's, um, yeah, it's it's like a, it's weird because we're old now. <laughs> <laughs> like compared to like when we're thinking back to like me and Jack and that first song, I just, we were just like really like felt like children now uh, looking back on it. Uh, it- it's such a beautiful album, uh, the Floors record that they did. That was quite a quite a pivotal record for me. And and you did two records with them, didn't you? Uh, three. I was on the last three. Three. Great. Okay. And then not this last one that they done. But um, yeah, the the Floors one was the introduction, and probably most like me musically as well. Um, so I think we, well, we met just, at, I just, uh, went and watched them play at my local pub that they were doing a gig and I was doing one there the week after and just went and spoke to Jack after the show and 
I, I genuinely was like a big fan and really, really enjoyed their music and thought they were brilliant. Um, and then he, we just kept in touch. I can't remember if it was email or even MySpace back then. Mm-hmm. I can't even remember. And he remixed one of my songs that I put up on MySpace. He like ripped it and did a remix. And uh, that was really cool. And then I think I did some gigs with him, uh, with them all actually. Um, they were doing like acoustic gigs before Floors was um, written or recorded. And I just did a few in like, one was in like a little record store and one was in a church in Islington and started singing with them live. Um, and then he just invited me around to his, he was living at his parents' house. I remember going into his room and he had like a single bed and his computer set up with his instrument, like a banjo and a guitar and stuff. And then an old record player on the floor with like 20 vinyls stacked up and that was it. And that was, that was the room he made floors, that whole record. Wow. Um, yeah. So, and he was like, I've written this song and uh, this is the harmony. And then like sang it a couple of times and he was like, yeah, that, that'd be great. And then, I, but he didn't know what we, they didn't know at the time, I think that it was going to be an album or anything because it was so different to their first record. Yeah. And then suddenly, I think it was like the first time that I'd been played on radio was that song. And I was like, what the hell? I just went round to my friend's house and recorded this very quickly. And now it's been played on Radio 1. So it was like a very weird, quick thing that happened. Um, and then luckily, like, I guess, yeah, it was uh, luckily enough that um, they asked me to support them and sing with them live. And I did like a church tour for that whole record in the UK. And um, I guess we got on so well that it kind of carried on into the next album even though that was going back to the fuller sound that they had on their first record um i got to stick around for it um and there was yeah it was a few really good years of my life it was very fun and you sort of went from there and you put out your first record um and you signed to columbia is that right yeah and you did two records with them and then you ended up leaving and signing with communion i just wanted to kind of briefly chat about that transition from how firstly how did you get involved with with a major label like that um i've been like slogging it out for some time and didn't have uh any bites from anybody really any labels no one was interested so at the point of signing i'd already finished recording my first record mm-hmm. i kind of used all my lifetime's worth of favours, really, um, to get it done. I moved back home, asked my parents if we could use their living room, and we took the sofas out and turned my parents' living room into like a kind of setup, like like a computer in a studio. We could do stuff and rented out the village hall again (laughs) down the road and recorded drums and stuff in there. So it was like seriously DIY record you know, like home done before home studios really was like a thing, to be honest. Um, it was felt like quite a wild thing to do to just pack up a van and try and build a studio somewhere like to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I made the record there with uh, like great friends. Again, Jack came down for a few days and sang on some songs and just different friends were coming along and playing on the record. It was really one of the most special times making that record. So it's it's like important, I think, that backstory before we go into like, I signed to this big major and yeah. how did that happen? Yeah, but totally. It had been a very long and hard journey up until that point of like 
huge amounts of rejection, which I'm sure there's no musician on the planet who hasn't felt huge amounts of rejection up to a point. Mm. But for some reason, I don't know if it's just some some part of like you that's just insane that keeps going, even though you just get knocked back over and over again. Um, that by the time I'd made this record and then I had like, I think, nearly five offers on the table, but it was only once I was getting played on radio, selling out 600 capacity venues, finished my own record. Like it was pretty up and running by the time anyone actually took any notice of me. And the lady that signed me, I really respected and I really got on with, and I still get on with her. She doesn't work there anymore, but I still would go for lunch with her and uh, still, yeah, really, really respect her as a person. Um, so it just felt like the right decision. And on top of that, you know, it's impossible when you've been like working your ass off for so long. And if someone's like, we're going to make this happen and we're this, you know, massive label and look at this artist, yeah. like I would never like expect, you know, any artist the, like to, to be able to just straight out and say no, especially when half of the deals that indie labels are doing are the same percentage splits anyway, but without the advance. Mm. Um, you know, it's... I kind of thought I had like the creative control uh, because my record was finished, which I did for my first record. So it was a pretty painless and joyful experience putting a record out with them, mm. the first one. And then the second one was obviously a bit different. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just really quickly touch on that because um, I, I mean, I, I really want to get into talking about what happened with the third record. I want to talk about South America and because I feel like that was quite a, I feel like a really pivotal time for you, particularly the the album that came out of it, and just the shift from uh, "Work It Out" to the sound of uh, something's changing. I I just think tell me about what happened with that second record and sort of the, the decision to leave that label. It's really hard to talk about my second record in the right way because. Firstly, because I know that there's fans who really love it still. Mm. So it's not that it's something that I can just like write off as something that I don't think is any good. Um, it very much was me at a very certain point in my life, um, which is that exactly what a record should do. But records I've done feel like they're more timeless to, to me as a musician of like where I would like to be going forward instead of such a small period of time, which I was into this sort of stuff. And I think the second album, I've, I just kind of fell into a sort of trap that I think a lot of musicians can do after you've had some sort of success with your first record. Totally. Who knows if I could be talking complete nonsense. This is just my theory, um, which is sort of like, you don't want it to go away. You've worked 12 years or however many years or to get to a point where it's actually happening for you for the first time and you really don't want it to disappear. Um, and you want to make sure that it carries on because you're loving it and you feel like it's finally happening. I'm a musician. Yeah. Um, and I think you just like overthink it completely and worry about the wrong things um, entirely, which is like, I really hope this journey continues. I hope that I get to keep touring because this was really fun. Instead of going, I don't really mind if it doesn't work out, if I'm going to make a record that's entirely me, that it has no compromises, and if everyone hates it, then I'm actually okay with that. I'll get a job somewhere. That's more important to me to do that, sure. um, which is very much easier said than done. Yeah. And especially when I had like a label 
who was, you know, when we were having meetings of like, we, you know, we need you to, you know, not disappoint sort of thing. Um, and like your first record was slightly disappointing. It didn't do better. So you really need to make sure this one does better. For your us. label said that to you? Yeah, it definitely was said like, you know, we'd hoped it would do more. And, but for me, my first record was like above and beyond what I ever expected it to do um, in a million years. And mm -hmm. I was playing venues I never expected to play. So in my bubble, I thought this way I'd done really well. And um, I got a big reality check that actually for them, it wasn't successful. Um, and then there was immense amounts of pressures to co-write and I'd never co-written before or wanted to do that. Um, and, and huge amounts of pressure to do it. Um, and then I fought, the, I fought it and then was like, I'm not going to do it. And then I think because I fought it so hard, then I was like, I'm going to show them I can write what they want sort of thing. Right. Um, I guess some of the songs, when I think of them, are like more singly, singly songs. If that sure. makes sense? Yeah. Um, and it was more of like, I don't know where I could have gone because if I firstly having huge arguments that I don't want to co-write and then I want to write really obscure music, they would be like, it would just, my album wouldn't have been released. Like that's pretty much like, I wouldn't have been able to release a record with them. Um, who knows whether they would have let me go. I would have kind of been held hostage to a certain degree. Sounds like you already were, in a way. Yeah. So I wrote a record that uh, I put a lot of everything I could into it at that point, but my head was full of the wrong things entirely. Um, the most ironic thing, I think it's like in terms of like, oh, it charted in the top 10 and it did this, like most successful, you know, whatever. I don't know what that means really. Um, but achieved things that I'd never achieved, you know, with my my two albums afterwards um but my two albums afterwards feel like they've achieved things that are differently important mm. and more important to me if that makes sense yeah absolutely Maybe you're sick of people asking you about Latin America, but I feel like that must have been such a pivotal part of your journey, both like personally and musically. Um, and I'm so glad we, I'm so glad I get to talk to you about this because um, my wife and I, we went to South America a few years ago and um, it was, yeah, a time of transformation for us in different ways um but so something about latin american people and the places we visited i don't know it was really powerful and um yeah really life-changing in in different ways but mm. um obviously seen your uh the documentary and yeah just wanted to ask you about like some of the stuff you said in that was like oh i said the same thing when i was there um <laughs> Like you had that moment, you had this moment when you're sitting in a bar, I I'm guessing with Will, mm -hmm. and he spoke about, he had this revelation about how, because we have it so good, we moan about things that we don't need to. Mm -hmm. And here we are like living out of a rucksack with nothing, with all these people who have 
far less than us and I'm like the happiest I've ever mm-hmm. been. Tell me about that. Yeah, it's a very it's kind of when I think back to it, it's very emotional because it was very um, pivotal um, and I wish I could relive it more often really because it's very easy to slip back into life again um, and I had to remind myself those things. It was just the most amazing experience. So I, I guess it all came about after the, after the second album and I wanted to tour there and I was just being, had a lot of no's coming my way. You can't do that. It's not possible. You're not well known. Because it is very difficult to tour there. Yeah. Um, there's a huge number of reasons why it's very difficult to get gigs over there and tour over there. Uh, but I just was at that point and I hit like a bit of a, a rock bottom and was like, I'm just going anyway. Like as in, I'm not going to, I'm going to just do my own thing and, and not listen really. I'm going to prove them wrong. Yeah. I don't think, I don't know if it was this year. I just was going to go traveling anyway. Yeah. I've yeah. never done it before. Never had like a gap year or done all of those things that people tend to do when they're younger. So I was like, I've always wanted to go there. I'm going to go there. And if I can play music at the same time for free, I don't want to make any money or charge anyone. Tickets have to be free entry. Um, and yeah, I spent like eight weeks living with fans and playing in their local bars and cafes and different places like laundrettes and wherever they would, someone would have me and would let me plug my guitar in, I would play. And it really was like, probably one of the most special experiences that I'll probably ever have in my life. Um, But also exhausting, (laughs) exhausting. And uh, it was, it was amazing because it really like, it just brings out the best in you. Some things bring, some things bring out the worst in you um, and some things bring out the best in you. And I've been you when we're talking about hotels, you know, when you're staying in a hotel and you're like, it's awful, <laughs> this, you know, this bed's really dirty and I won't, you know, and all those sort of things that you can tend to do like, tend to just like moan about when you're on tour or whatever you're doing. Um, it kind of brought out the best in me because I couldn't do that. Like I was living in people's homes that they invited me in where they'll be sleeping on the floor to give me their bed. And also I'd wake up in the morning instead of being like, tired and grouchy i'd wake up and in someone's living room they'd be literally at the bottom of my bed like morning <laughs> and like like <laughs> like, so, like, a, like someone who's been listening to my music for years so then it just made me be like my very very best person that i could be version of myself yeah and but it felt the best thing about it was it was sincere mm. it wasn't like i'm performing or i'm doing it was like this most mm. pure sincere version of myself um just by being surrounded by really wonderful people um, who were just... Do you think there's something about like being lost in translation a little bit and spending time with people who, um, you know, don't have English as their first language, that you some, somehow it brings out this, this side of you that is kind of the best and the kindest person because you're communicating on a, a level that, I don't know, you, you only have time to care and to speak positively to other people yeah i don't know if it's language it's interesting i've not thought about it like that before like is it because of language that where you communicate in that way well one of the things you said i which i think sort of ties in with that i really loved um there was there was a scene 
where you were sitting with a young man and he was telling you that, that music was God to him. And you made a comment and you said that music is more than music for most people. Um, I, I just wanted to sort of expand on what you meant by that. Um, I think part of me had presumed that music was really important to me but maybe not to anybody else. Like my relationship with music was like almost part of my being. Like it was essential uh, for me to live really and be like happy and find joy and stuff was by having a relationship with music. But I always thought I was the weird one. Um, and then I think when we were on this, on this trip and people were talking about how connected they are to music and without music, you know, they wouldn't you know I think he was saying Fernando was saying I wouldn't be here like take my eyes that would I would still stay but if you took my ears I couldn't I couldn't live yeah. like and you know I need music um to to get through each day mm. and I think it made me see that um in Latin America is you know and lots of places in the world there's such intense hardship that people go through and nearly every single person that I stayed with had had hardship and heartbreak and and real tough tough moments of their lives that were unimaginable to me and I kept meeting like person after person who'd had to go through really tough things and um the common link that came through was that music was something that had really helped them through all those times was like you know putting headphones on and listening to songs had comforted them in a way that I didn't realise that music could do. Mm. It almost it almost makes you understand your feelings. That you, you when you're when you've got all of this emotion of what you're going through, it helps you sort of digest it and understand it, and it also allows you to forget it all at the same time um, and escape. And I think just having I'd never you know other than meeting fans after gigs and someone saying oh, I really loved it and it was really great to meet you when you have this like very short five, ten minute interaction. I was living with people for like two or three days where I could really have long in-depth conversations with why music mattered so much to them. Mm. Um, and it just I really changed my whole perspective, really. Yeah. Have you ever had anyone, uh, you're saying like talking to people after a show, like, hey, that was great. Have you ever had someone come up after a show or even when you're in Latin America and, and just say, plainly your music saved my life in some words yeah in some ways um i've had a lot of like oh, we can't talk about it because i will genuinely could cry there's too many stories of like people who have um come up to me and said like i don't know there was a, i remember one boy who said uh, my brother this is in mexico um was in a crossfire of some cartel in the crossfire and he died on the night of his prom oh, driving man. his car and your music like got me through it like I don't think I'd have been able to get through it mm. I've had someone in, again in Mexico who would message me saying I don't have enough he was from Venezuela I don't have enough money to come because this is the second time I went and they were paid shows the second time I went back and um don't have enough money for a ticket but I love your music so I messaged him back saying I've put you on the guest list and um, he came to the gig and then afterwards he found my husband and was like, that was like the best night of my life. Like I've literally could forget about everything for a moment in time. Mm. 
and I'm trying to do something to thank Lucy for putting me on the guest list and I haven't got anything. The only thing I've got is um, this football shirt, which my best friend was wearing last week in Venezuela when he got shot by police. Mm. Um, and it's the most important thing that I have. And I just, if I, I want to give it to Lucy to show wow. how much your gig meant to me. And then my husband would just came back in with this football shirt and like floods of tears. Mm. Um, wow. So it's, yeah, it's really intense and extraordinary because um, I don't know about you guys, but I'm constantly in my head thinking I'm terrible. Like, why would anyone want to come to my gig? Or, you know, I sometimes listen to the wrong voices in my head and hear my old label telling me how unsuccessful I am and all those things. And I just think, oh gosh, maybe I'll just, you know, go get a regular job and, and like take the hint really. And those moments um, really like took me by surprise because I just, there's not like one part of me that ever thought that I could have any sort of impact on anybody like that. Yeah. I mean, after that, after that trip, like going, like not only being surprised by the amount of people who were coming to see you play, but also, you know, being welcomed into uh, people's homes and becoming part of people's families. Mm. What did that do for, uh, maybe ego is the wrong word because you just don't seem like someone who would even have a slight resemblance of an ego, but did it make you feel uh, like more humbled or did it make you feel uh, more sure and confident of yourself as a songwriter and of the stories that you tell in your, in your music? I don't know if, I don't know. I think I'm, I've kind of probably going to go off on a tangent, but I, what I remember is just like, uh, mums really every place we went to like every single mum just like broke my heart of just how sweet they were <laughs> um just like every single place you'd walk into we like give me a washing in like some sort of broken English like let us wash your clothes let me wash your clothes uh, like um, let me feed you sit down on the table I'm going to feed you I'm going to wash your clothes like <laughs> yeah mums just like absolutely break my heart <laughs> like worldwide they just are like just an amazing amazing part of the human race and dads as well obviously but there's a lot of mums who like we'd land uh, just literally I can just think of so many of them now that we stayed with where clothes are in the wash go have a hot shower just landed oh, they've picked stuff on the floor, and then they've cooked us like this ridiculous lunch straight away like what do you need can I get you anything just and then they go off to their jobs and then they'll come back later and um just like superheroes um really so i know that's not really i've gone off topic of like what it means by songwriting but it was more of like on a human level they didn't they actually didn't really know my music they were like oh i, I know my my children really love yeah. your music and it really means a lot but for them they weren't doing they had no real connection with my music they were just like being human like superhumans really you must have been wrecked like just dry, like going on those um Traveling on those buses, like semi karma, the big seats, like, you know, driving up. Or you went south from starting like Ecuador or something, but. Yeah, we started in Ecuador and then worked our way all the way down to the bottom and then all the way up back up to Mexico. I just remember some of those, some of those mornings, like 4 a.m., standing outside a bus station, wondering if our bus is even going to show up, but there's just no one around some pretty dicey situations i remember i'm not sure if you got into into any dangerous territory we had a few right at the beginning of the documentary you know where we're like 
is she here? We have that kind <laughs> yeah. of like. Hi, oh, Danielle. Uh, yeah, where is she? Is, yeah, it's Daniela. Like, is she here? That was it. We flew from Peru uh, into, into Chile, into Antofagasta, and we landed at about 3.30 in the morning. But as we got off the plane, there was just like loads of armed uh, police. And I think there's like tension. I don't know if it's like drug trafficking that they were looking for. But once we got all of our bags off the conveyor belt, they just emptied every single person's bag onto the floor, just like one after the other. Um, it's like four in the morning and just some guy with a, like a machine gun was just like <laughs> to up, to upturns my rucksack onto the floor and wills and we're putting our stuff away. And then we realized like, God, we're in this kind of city in Chile that I've never heard of before. Um, it's 3.30 in the morning. There's loads of like, it's just, there was a bit of a like moment. There's a, a few moments like that you're like, and then this person, this absolute stranger, comes out of the dark, puts you in their car, you know, like, and makes you some breakfast as soon as, you know, some nice coffee as soon as you get back into their house and, like, looks after you. Like, so we just kind of, I know what you mean, you've got these, like, moments in time, but they were always, like, cushioned by people. Um, we didn't have to have, like, yeah, we weren't checking into, like, hostels or having to sort out all that stuff or the transport. Like, there was always somebody there to help us like every step of the way well i want to skip ahead but you finished that that trip to south america and i remember you saying how excited you were to make that record and you were just filled with passion for for just making music again and you ended up with something's changing which i i think is you know knowing how you feel about that second record it, it was just such a uh a, such a shift in direction probably more more would you say true to the, the songwriter that you you are and the kind of music that you want to be playing i feel like that record was the first sort of real statement or such a confident and, and joyful statement of who you are and the sort of music that you make and it really stands apart to me as quite a, a turning point for you yeah i find it hard to be objective to be honest like looking at my music and comparing it like to be honest, when I think of any record, it fills me with dread that I've made. Um, and I know I have to be rational about that, but it's impossible not to like pick it apart because it's part of you. Like you just pick yourself apart sometimes. Um, but making that record was awesome. It was so fun. It was completely different to the, the pressure and the stress of the second one and the expectation of it. Like I was like, there's no expectation here at all like you can um, you can hear that in the record i think yeah i've got like and that was really different going into that um and i had no expectation but i had also just come back from this tour where i was shocked that people knew who i was so far away from home so i was like i'm just going to make this record for these fans that i do have instead of like this constant pressure to grow and get more fans and all this stuff it was like I've been going around this all the wrong way, like thinking that I need to grow. I'm going to make a record for the fans that I have and thank them for being here. Um, so it was really like that was it, my mindset, really. And because I'd, I'd met them, like so many of them and lived with them, mm. I felt like I was in a safe place to be myself. Um, yeah. And yeah, it was just, it was a, the songs. Um, came there was no like real pain obviously like lots of 
you know, normal songwriting attempts of like, that's not good enough. This can make it. That's you know, <laughs> all of that stuff, but that's just normal stuff. Um, and it was just, it was amazing to make it. And that was with Tim and it was down in Brighton. I had a whole new load of musicians that I'd never played with before and was managing myself. And I didn't have a label at the time. I didn't, I got rid of my booking agent. I was like, it was like everything, I'd, all the team that I'd built um, over the years, it was just back to me and my guitar in a way. And mm. um, like finding the right direction, but it was just a very freeing process. Yeah. Well, I, I hear that in that record and I hear that in uh, in your most recent record that you put out last year as well. Um, I, I really quickly wanted to touch on a conversation that you and I had and I'm not going to name any names. I don't want to sort of incriminate anyone. But you contacted me a while back about a tour that you were asked to do. And you sort of said, oh, you know, should I do this? Um, and I said, you know, sure, go for it. Um, I think it will be really good for you. I'm not saying that I was the reason that you did it. Uh, I just am saying that I was perhaps a part of the conversation that led you towards doing it's it. It's all your fault, Sam. <laughs> but I, re- I remember talking about this tour with you when we were in Brighton together because you ended up leaving the tour quite early and you, you didn't have um, a very good experience at all. And I just wanted to touch on that experience because I think it's very important um, and I, I really sympathised with uh, what you were kind of going through on that tour. Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah. Um, it was a it was a massive opportunity. That's like the first thing. It was like a you can't say no to this opportunity opportunity mm. of at all. Um, and I would obviously release my third record and I'd written a lot of songs for my fourth record. And if you've heard that, um, you'll probably know that there's... Um, tinges of heartbreak and and mm. uh, tough times that I went through which came out in the music um so I was on this tour and I thought oh, I'll le- I can at least try these new songs out and play them and like all my songs they're very personal to me these ones were particularly close and um and it's this is of no one's fault but um I was playing them and it was obviously very chatty you know how it always is that uh, well not always but a lot of the time with the support and um, I didn't really enjoy that aspect of it. And then on top of that, you know, there's like the odd comment from some of the crew members being like, why don't you try to tell a joke and lighten it up? Or why don't you play this song from your second record, which is more upbeat or, you know, trying to give me tips on um, how I should like win the crowd over so that they will like me um, really. And um, for me and the, the mental state that I was in, life's already like can be really hard already without trying to think I need to make all these people like me. Mm-hmm. And when, especially when you're trying to be like the most open and sincere and genuine version of yourself, which is really hard. Mm-hmm. Like it's not easy to do that because a lot of the time, like sincerity doesn't always mean nice or pretty. Um, sincerity can mean ugly you know when you're being sincere and it's your true self like my favorite thing that i i found was where the word came from like um 
which means no wax uh, is sincere in Greek, mm -hmm. which is when like sculptures first started making sculptures out of marble and things. Um, they would advertise it. If they made any mistakes, people would often put some wax on it to smooth it all out. And uh, it would be like labeled outside shops as like sincere is in no wax. So you knew that there was none of the covering up of any mistakes or anything on the things they made. And I was like, no wax. Wow. That's like exactly what it is. It's not like covering up the cracks and uh, all of those things. So I like that. That's cool. I was, you know, written these songs in this state of mind and then, and then felt like I was being pushed into trying to like, try not to be yourself. Why don't you try to be a different version of yourself? Why don't you try and do this? And I just like, wasn't in like a place where I could, that was not going to make me happy really. Mm. Um, and it was one of the, it was one of the, like, felt like a, the biggest decisions that I've made because it was felt like such mm. a big deal to quit at all. It's like not in my nature to quit. And I always pride myself on being a bit of like, really like hardcore when it comes to touring, you know, I can keep going, mm. you know, like I sleep on people's floors. I, you know, it's not like I'm a princess at all when it <laughs> comes to like being on the road and touring and, it feels like part of my identity to like push through the hard times and be resilient. And uh, so it felt very unlike me to quit at all and stop. Um, but it was 100% the right decision because I think if I'd pushed through those three months, um, it would have taken me a long time to get back yeah. um, and to recover from it because it would have been brutal. I was like in airports on my own, uh, because I couldn't have anyone with me as well. I had to do on my own, like reading like self-help books in like WH Smith at airports. Like <laughs> someone just helped me get through this, like to help me. I just don't know what to do anymore. You know, like really. Help me WH Smith. Yeah, straight into the self-help care, but they're just really struggling. Um, but yeah, that was that. Because to me, I just, when I heard about your experience on that tour and, and the fact that you left it was one of probably the the more admirable things that I've, I've heard anyone sort of do on a tour because most people would just sort of suck it up and and just play the tour but i i Take just the cash yeah well absolutely I, I think um you know you have to make a living and especially a, a tour that uh you know stands to really kind of push you into the spotlight it's a hard thing to walk away from and and hearing that there were people that were trying to have a say and trying to influence you and how you should be and and your songs and what you should play just made me yeah really really upset for you and I'm so glad that you took that stand and you just left the tour and you walked away because you ended up making that fourth record which is a beautiful record and at the end of last year you played the Barbican in London is that right mm -hmm. yeah like that's a that's a big deal I don't know if many people know that venue but it's it's a big deal to play there and you sold the show out. And I, I was so happy to hear, I don't know, I just feel like you'd had this really terrible time on this tour and you'd gone away and made this great record. And it was just such vindication, I, I felt, to and, and a testament to you sort of sticking to your guns and doing your thing and you'd, you'd sold out this huge venue and you did it your way. How was it playing that show? That's all so nice to hear, Sam, by the way. Just to say thank you because um, that means a lot. Um, and that's very much 
how I now look back on it all like more fondly than the experience at the time but like you say doing things sticking on on a path that's harder and um but but are going to be the right one for me and then you just hope that it Mm. still works out to a certain degree um and the barbican definitely was that for me it was like there was no compromises I was who I was and wanted to be in, in making that record and making decisions that I made um during it and then to walk on stage and see 2,000 people back me for just exactly the way I wanted to be yeah. um, was, like, really monumental. Um, and who knows if all those people in the room realised how monumental it was for me. I hope they did. Um, but it was, yeah, it was a very important moment. So, yeah, it was great. Mm, yeah, that's great. I can't talk about it. It's emotional, don't I? I'm just an emotional <laughs> person generally, like... It's terrible. <laughs> uh, that's good. You're um, you're you're a cracked glow stick now. Is oh god, I know. <laughs> I, I could do with it being slightly less cracked, though. To <laughs> to be honest, like it's no turning back now. Just at times, it's like don't cry now, Lucy. Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> Lucy. Thank you so much for talking with us. No problem. It's been a real pleasure to have you. Oh, thanks, guys. <laughs>